No success in the world can compensate for failure in the home. That's why Club Wealth was founded, to help driven, successful, and busy real estate agents like you double their business while building a strong, balanced home life. Join us each week as high-producing agents and team leaders share their stories and unpack the principles and systems they've used to double, triple, and even quadruple their business while enjoying greater quality of life. And now, here's the latest episode of Club Wealth TV. Hello, everybody. Welcome. This is Michael Ellickson. Uh, we are on Club Wealth TV, and uh, of course, I've got my awesome co-host, Mr. Brian Curtis, on with me. And uh, Brian, as most of you know, is a rock star real estate team leader uh, in Bentonville, Arkansas. And I say he's in Bentonville. I mean, yes, he has a team in Bentonville that does, you know, 330 plus uh, units a year. Uh, but he also has expansion teams in uh, multiple markets around the country, uh, including uh, Denver, Dallas, Chicago, Brentwood, California. I mean, dude, he's all over. So welcome, Brian. Appreciate you being here. And uh, for those of you that don't already know, my name is Michael Hellickson. I'm a coach with Club Wealth as well. Brian and I are both coaches with uh, Club Wealth. And uh, we're excited to be here with you today. So Club Wealth, of course, is a coaching and consulting company. We're actually the number one coaching and consulting company in the team space uh, for real estate in the United States. So we're pretty excited about that. And uh, we're going to have uh, time for you guys to ask lots of questions today. So anytime you guys have a question or a comment, type it into the feed at facebook.com forward slash Club Wealth. Uh, that's where you'll want to be watching this uh, because at, on that feed, we'll be tracking that throughout the call today and uh, we'll be answering your questions. So that being said, without any further ado, I want to welcome our guest, Mr. Todd Tremonti. Todd, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be among greatness. This is going to be good. That's awesome. Well, we're super stoked to have you. And uh, so, Todd, uh, just tell us a little bit about you and uh, and what we're going to be learning today. I understand that we're going to be talking about seven steps to higher commission, a little bit about team management, marketing tools and tactics, and delivering world-class value. But first, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, man. Uh, I'll give you uh, what's beginning, becoming a longer and longer story. I'll make it as short as I can. But basically, I grew up with a mother who is a world-class elementary school teacher. And I grew up with a dad who is an incredible salesperson. He worked for IBM in the heyday of IBM. And I didn't realize it until probably 15, 16 years ago, maybe not even that long, I was speaking at an event and right before I went on stage, somebody said, hey, we need your bio. And I was like, I don't have a bio. So, well, we need a bio real quick. So I sketched it out. I don't think it was a napkin. It was the back of some piece of paper. And when I heard them say it, they said, Todd Tremonti is the son of a world-class teacher and a world-class salesman. And I was like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Those are my things. I love the idea of marketing and sales and I love teaching and leading. So anyway, that's led me to a life uh, of being the, the, the wife, uh, the husband of a great wife, the dad of three awesome kids, and the leader of a real estate team in Dallas-Fort Worth with offices on the Dallas side and the Fort Worth side. And I love the business of real estate, mostly the people side and, and, and leading and teaching and equipping. And uh, I love my family and youth ministry and Jesus and all sorts of other stuff. And uh, I'm excited to share whatever we can uh, in the time we've got. Right on. So tell us a little bit about last year. So in the last 12 months or in 2017, uh, so if you can get a feel for the size of your business, what was your gross commission income and units closed? Yeah, uh, I'm so focused on current numbers. Last year's numbers may be off a tiny bit, but we did uh, right around a million and a quarter in gross commission last year, 1.3-ish, something like that. And um, that was with about five agents in production. Most of that was from from our kind of our core four coming out of last year, core four outside agents. Um, we split the support staff of our team into three categories. And I borrowed these from Joe Stump, by referral only. I don't know if you're familiar with, with him. Before, during, and after, right? Um, so I focus on a lot of our marketing and lead generation and equipping. And then we have a key leader on our team that's kind of our business development manager and helps lead the Dallas side. He helps with a lot of that before stuff. And then our Fort Worth team leader helps with a lot of the during transactional processing stuff. And then our, our key administrative person helps with our raving fan club and a lot of our after unit stuff. So we're always a team of 
you know, eight to 10, right around there in, uh, our production last year was, um, uh, GCI is the number we care most about. Well, like I said, it's about one and a quarter, 1.3. And this year we're looking, we're on pace for about two. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Good stuff. So talk to us about, so with, you're, you're telling me, you know, last, you know, we were talking on the, you know, just before we got going here and uh, in the comment or in the, uh, in the post here, we're talking about seven steps to a higher commission. So talk to us about how are you getting higher commissions and what does that mean? Like, you know, if a typical agent gets four, are you getting eight or, you know, is it four and a quarter or like, you know, what, what are you doing that's different? Yeah. So let me, let me answer your question with a super quick story, but I've been in the business for 15, 16 years. The early days I was solo and clueless. I, I was flipping houses and I only got licensed because I was flipping six or seven or eight houses a month while I was in college and graduate school at seminary. Um, I sort of woke up one day and literally told my wife as she left to go to her big four accounting job. Uh, oh no, I'm a realtor. Like what happened? Somehow I backed into this thing. And the only thing I'm doing right now is I have a license and I'm helping people buy and sell houses, which I hated. I still, to this day, do not love that title realtor because in my mind, what that means is working out of the backseat of the car, winging it kind of fallback thing. Um, I knew immediately I, I needed systems and process. So I actually, I got rolling a little bit and bought a franchise and it was a flat fee discount brokerage franchise. And I did that because my goal, my passion was to deliver more value than anybody else. And I thought being young and naive that I would do the same as everybody else and just charge less. And I'm not vilifying anybody who does that. That is no longer where I feel like I'm supposed to be. But I did that for five years and about two and a half years into it, I realized, whoa, this is not the ideal model for me. Um, and I learned a lot from doing a lot of volume with very little profitability and really realizing I could be doing way better for my clients. Now, I don't have the resources to do it, but when I tested that theory, the results for the client were significantly better. Now, I was way less profitable and sometimes net negative because the only revenue I had, I spent to drive a better result for them. But what I learned was as soon as I get out of this franchise, I want to build this different model. And that's kind of what we have now. So to answer your question more directly, you know, there's no set commission. All commissions are negotiable, not set by law. We're not price fixing, blah, blah, blah. But the point is, um, you know, most of our listing side commissions are between seven and 8%. Um, uh, sometimes there's a transaction and compliance fee that's, that's a part of that as well. Um, but because of that, that allows us not just to talk someone into more money for us, but to invest in the process, to deliver what we call world-class value, to really deliver a better result and a better experience because people really aren't going to remember those results for very long. So the experience has to be great too. So we have a proprietary seven-step system. Of course, there's seven main steps and then there's about 2,000 sub-steps and little things that we do. But yeah, you know, we're getting, if you were to say the average consumer probably expects the commission to be five to six, we're obviously getting a couple of points more than that on average. Uh, which leads to higher profitability and and more to reinvest in the process to drive better results for the client and have happier team members that are paid well and 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 provided for. So the answer to your question is yes. So what are those seven steps? Walk us through those. All right, let me let me give you an option. Do we want to rifle through all seven and make sure we cover them all, or do you just want to get into the meat of it and see where we end up? Let's just see where we end up. Let's start with the first one and let's work our way through them and uh, we'll see where it takes us. Very, very cool. So number one is pre-inspection. I think a lot of people are afraid of a pre-inspection because they feel like there's a significant liability issue there with disclosure. We believe that a pre-inspection solves a lot of potential problems and puts us in the driver's seat for our client to be in control of the delivery of information to eliminate the negatives, in my, in my opinion, during that positioning phase, it's more important to eliminate the negatives than it is to even add positives. So the pre-inspection allows us to deliver sort of like a certified pre-owned. Picture how Lexus does this, right? I've got a used car, but it's worth more because it's been through our 149-step system or whatever, right? So we believe the pre-inspection is really powerful. We take the scariest document in the entire purchase process for the buyer of our listing. 
we take that scariest document and we turn it into a marketing document. We make that document something that's attractive that will actually drive more value, more interest, more urgency um, instead of create fear and terror. And we're now afraid that they have an unqualified agent that's not going to communicate that well. So we really believe in the pre-inspection process. So that's that's step one. Uh, Brian, we can't hear you. You're going to have to unmute. Oh, uh... So, there we go. Todd, real quick, um, yeah. who's, who's paying for that pre-inspection? Great question. That's one of the only parts of the whole process we don't pay for. And the reason is just there's so much liability around it. And I know uh, we, we've shared this with other folks that use it and they do pay for it. And certainly that's an option. We don't. And the way we present that is we just say, hey, we really believe in this. Here's the three or four reasons it's tremendously valuable to you. Unfortunately, this is the one and only part of the process. We can't cover the cost for you up front. The really reason is there's just a lot of liability there. We need to make sure you feel confident in who you're choosing as an inspector. We're happy to suggest a handful of people that we've had great success with in the past. And you're welcome to choose anybody else. And here's the things we caution you against. Here's the things we suggest. Um, but um, we do a lot of business with these people. So they're going to give you a very, very fair rate. Um, it's a minimal cost for a huge return. But that's how we deliver that, Brian. That's the one thing we don't pay for. And that's why. That's interesting. Now, Brian, aren't you also doing a pre-inspection? You're not. Doing it. No, it's not something I've generally done. Uh, it's interesting. So, you know, a flip side of that is sometimes I actually tell people that, you know, if you need a new roof, you need a new air conditioner. Let's negotiate those after the inspection. And part of the time you get, get them half paid for. You know, if you negotiate that correctly, one of the things I'll go to a buyer and say, look, you know, personally, I had to replace my roof uh, a month ago and it would have been great if I didn't actually have to pay for the whole thing. I've been thrilled to pay for half of it at closing because now I've got a new roof for the next 30 years at my house, things like that. And that's where we negotiate from. Uh, that way, honestly, sometimes the buyer, if it's sold correctly, they're thrilled to pay for half of a roof or half of an air conditioner or some of the big expenses. So. Yep. And by the way, Brian, we're getting some weird noises on your uh, on your audio there, just FYI. Um, so anyway, that's cool. Uh, and so, all right, keep going, Todd. So number one is a pre-inspection, and I see we've got a couple of people uh, also that are watching right now, uh, like uh, Michael Brombacker. It looks like uh, you're doing uh, pre-inspections as well uh, and uh, getting that as a cost to the seller at closing. That's interesting. I like that. All right, good stuff. So what's what's next, Todd? Yeah, so number two is professional staging. And let's be careful how we say this. Professional staging is, is a very specific thing. It's not interior design, and it's not your sister-in-law who's decent at furniture and decorations. Staging is different than design because staging is presenting a house in a way that a buyer will respond in the ideal way. It's not designing a home so that it looks best to live in. We're trying to help a buyer make a four, five, six hundred thousand dollar decision in about 12 minutes, really probably in the first minute or two of a 10, 12, 15 minute visit through the home. So it's more about traffic flow, reflection of light, the feeling of openness, the feeling of comfort and warmth than it is, you know, the best way to see the TV from the couch and look great. So it's a very different deal. You've got to work with someone that really understands the trends in the marketplace, that understands what buyers do and don't respond to, that understands the timing of how long someone may be there. Most people will buy a home that they've never actually sat down in. I mean, that we're not always thinking about these things. When it's time to market a property, we've got to really fully understand who the target audience is and what their mental emotional state is and what their level of hurriedness and speed and pace is. So staging is huge. It is not a stager coming in and making a list of 116 things that a seller should do, handing them the list and leaving because the seller's not going to do it. Mm -hmm. and, and they're going to do half of some of those things. So when we say professional staging, we mean stagers who will come to the house and physically move, rearrange. Most of the time, obviously in an occupied home, they're working with the seller's existing belongings. Now we do vacant staging when needed. 
Most of the properties we sell are not vacant, but some are. Um, but we believe in staging on every single property. We believe it has a tremendous impact on value. There's a whole scripting and process and how you present that to your prospective seller and then how you communicate that to potential buyers and things like that. But um, there's a lot of layers to that. But we believe that professional staging has a massive impact on not just the price, but the speed and the sort of mental, emotional, psychological commitment that a buyer makes to a property. And uh, Angela Gabriel asks a great question. Uh, she says, do all clients receive these services regardless of price point? Yes. And there's a lot more that are included. Now, there are some rare exceptions. We do some work with probate attorneys. And on occasion, we'll have a vacant probate home that's you know been really neglected for the last 10 years, staging's not going to change the story of that home. Now, sometimes it will, but there are occasions where it doesn't, and that's okay. Uh, but yeah, I'd say 90 plus percent, if my goal is 100% of every home that we market for a seller, is it has every single one of these elements and the ones we've yet to cover. And are you paying for that or is the seller paying for that? We pay for that. You're paying yeah. for all of it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, and what are you charging uh, in terms of commission uh, at closing? Again, that's the kind of the thing we talked about before. Most of our sellers are around seven and a half percent. Now it is a customized plan. So it's not one size fits all. It's not one price fits all. I don't believe in that approach. Um, but most of them are around seven and a half percent, give or take, you know, depending on a unique scenario or a super rare property might be more or something like that. Yeah. But I mean, I think the, correct me if I'm wrong, but the value prop you're bringing to it is, Hey, look, you know what? Yeah. We're going to charge you, you know, seven and a half percent on your commission, but we're going to pay for all this stuff in advance. And, it, and so what happens if the house doesn't sell, they pull it off the market. Yeah. Uh, and you're not wrong, but the more powerful value proposition and the reason we're charging the fee is because of the results they're going to get. It's not just what we do. It's not the cost of the things we spend money on. It's the return to the client. And our big USP, our big guarantee is we guarantee to sell your home over the average price and under the average time. And so right now we're averaging about 8% over the average price, about 8% more than similar homes in your neighborhood at similar times are selling for. So you're going to net significantly more than you probably thought you were. And if you thought you were going to pay sort of a standard, whatever your assumption was of commission, we're probably a little bit more than that, but your return will be a lot more than you thought. So your net return is vastly more than you probably ever thought you could get. And you're not going to pay us a dime until we've already delivered you that significantly better net return. Now, to answer this question that you just asked, if for some reason we don't, then by all means, we're open to an adjustment to our fee. We, we, we say there's three things we'll do if for some reason we don't meet that over under guarantee. And we, of course, set the bar early. Here's the standard market price. Here's the standard market time. We want to be over that and under that. If we don't, you've got three options. Number one, uh, we'll pay some of your closing costs at closing, usually a title policy or something like that. Number two, we'll send you on a five-day, four-night cruise for two adults. Enjoy some time off. It'll be you know, much better than a few dollars here or there. Number three, if for some reason we are not able to continue to move forward or your plans change or whatever, uh, you can walk away from this transaction. You're not committed or obligated in any way and you don't owe us. You don't have to reimburse us for anything. Mm -hmm. So those are the three options. It never happens. If anything, it's because of some strange market condition and they knew that and they were thrilled with the service. Um, but but we just, it, it's it's so insignificant that, uh, we are so obsessed with actually delivering on that promise uh, that we really don't worry about. If, if it comes up, we're glad to do one of those three things. Okay, good stuff. So I'm seeing uh, Michael Brombecker uh, asks a great question. He says, is, uh, is it your own in-house staging company that you use or do you use an outside company? Currently, it's in-house, but we used to use a great company here locally in the Dallas area. And the company we used also has... Um, an association that they run and they train stagers all over the country. So we had them train someone who's now only working with us um, and does, you know, three or four stages a week for us. Um, and we've done the same with a few of the other pieces of our, of our process. Perfect. Love it. All right. Good stuff. Okay. So number one was pre-inspection. Number two is professional staging. What's number three? Professional photography. And we won't spend as much time on this because I think most 
quality agents have come around to the idea that professional photography is important. I'll just make a few quick points. Um, there's a difference in someone who's a professional portrait photographer or event photographer or someone who has a great camera and someone who fully understands how a living room can suck up light and reflect light and things can come in and out of focus and a wide angle lens is not a wide angle lens is not a wide angle lens. There are differences and there are highly effective. There's great strategic angles and skill sets for making sure you fully capture a property. There's also understanding that some rooms are not going to photograph well. And bedroom number four that has a triangle of carpet, a wedge of, of, of walls, and a triangle of ceiling is a totally worthless photo and is not going to do you any, any good when you go to market that property. You don't necessarily need a photo of every single element of the home to be publicly marketed. You might want those to hold back and hand off to somebody, but we're looking for money shots. We're looking for the 15, 20, hopefully we can get more than that. Really great photos that cause a buyer to salivate and want more and want to come and see more. Um, under this photography bucket also includes videography and we do what we call a property trailer or a property preview video on every property as well. And so we have a film crew come out. They are an in-house film guy. Uh, they're not full time with us, but we have them. Uh, the only real estate videography they do is with us and they, they spend a half day per week in our office shooting other videos that are not property marketing videos. But anyway, they come out. Our marketing specialist, which most people call a listing agent, our marketing specialist does a quick whiz-gat script. What is so great about that? Kind of runs through the best features of the house and is sort of doing a stand and talk for about five seconds. And then the rest of their audio is basically just a voiceover of a quick highlight reel of the house. It's not a walkthrough video. It's not a video tour. It's not a virtual tour. It's a teaser. It's a trailer. It's, a, it's like I was saying on photography. It's to get them their appetite way is to get them excited about wanting to see the rest of the story. It's like a great property flyer. If you give someone too much information, they'll find something to disqualify it. We would all disqualify our own current homes in black and white because mm -hmm. we made some compromises, right? So we want to give them enough to get excited about them. We want them to come physically visit the home and fall in love with the home and the story of them living in the home that we want to control that we want to tell them. So photography and videography done right can create this unbelievably in intense upwell of demand and, and compelling interest in the property. So I'm curious, uh, Brian, were you about to say something? Okay. No, I'm good. All right. So I'm curious because uh, we, we have something we call the fatal four, right? Which is the four things that we absolutely never, ever, ever market about a property. If we're trying to get calls from buyers, uh, and, uh, you know, at one point in time, I, I was listing and selling over 100 homes a month. And uh, during that time, I had about 750 active and pending listings and was getting uh, about 6,352 sign calls per month. But uh, it's, uh, it's, great. it's a lot of volume. But, uh, but what happened was that the, what we found was when we eliminated these four things from our flyers, for example, uh, that we got a lot more calls on those listings. And so what I'm curious about is when you're, when you're talking about your, you know, WizGet videos, your property trailers and your photography, you know, what are the things that you eliminate, uh, you know, in all of your marketing essentially to assure that you get uh, more buyer leads coming in? Oh man, I'm not sure I'm going to hit your, your core force. So this is like a pop quiz. Uh, no price, um, no street number. Um, those are the, those are our absolute two. Like you, 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 you've got to give them something to ask for. And then there's a, there's a process on which you allow that to unfold and give it to them. What would the other two be? Um, We've got one of ours. Okay. Uh, and that's price. We never, ever, ever market price. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to, instead of killing time. About, well, the main thing is we're talking about flyers, right? On those flyers. Yeah. And so, um, you know, if somebody's out at the house, they've already, they, they, they know the address, right? They see the house, they, they know where it's at. They know that they like the neighborhood, uh, but it's bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage, and price uh, are the things that they, they want to find out generally, right? But we aren't going to give that information right. out 
on a flyer. We'll give it to them over the phone, but we require that they reach out to us to get that because now we've captured their information and we can follow up with them and, and we have yeah. business with them. Yeah, we don't, we don't even do physical flyers right now, but in a certain marketplace, we absolutely do. But yeah, that I agree 100% with this. I would highly recommend that you start doing flyers. I tell you that, you know, we, we looked at this and uh, every time we've ever done this with somebody where we go in and we change the way they're doing uh, their listing, you know, the, the marketing for the listing at the property in specific, we're talking about their signs. Uh, we always include flyers and we found that the number of sign calls that we get dramatically increases when we include flyers. And what's interesting is 60% of those calls come not from the front of the flyer, but from the back of the flyer where we list another 30 homes. Right. Uh, and so they, they really do work. But that being said, a um, couple of questions for you. For, uh, one from Julie. Uh, Julie asks, I missed the pre-inspection step. Do you pay for the complete home inspection when you first list? And the answer is... Yeah, the answer to that is that's the only thing we don't pay for. We recommend it. We're happy to coordinate it for them. We, we give them a recommended list of, of preferred vendors, but we that's the one thing we don't pay for just because of some liability there. Yep, uh, and I, I get that. And so Rick Rand says it's the small differences that make the biggest impact. You're absolutely right about that, Rick. Okay, good stuff. So anything else on the professional photography or videography? I'm happy to discuss as much of that as you guys want. I figure that's the one that people probably have you know the most context for. I will say the one caution here, and really on all these, is your goal when you speak to a potential client is not to rationalize the value of these things based on the cost of them. It's the impact of them. It's the value that they drive. It's the return that comes from them. So in their mind, well, I can go pay a photographer a hundred bucks and they can photo my house. That That's not what this is about. This is about the strategy and the way we do that and the value that it drives. And trust me, it's worth a heck of a lot more than a hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right about that. Especially as you put these things together and you, you form a complete marketing strategy. All right. So let's talk about number four. What's number four? Okay. So number four is one thing, but it's really like at least three things. Um, and that's what we call marketing, right? So if you consider the first three are all sort of one stage, that's sort of the preemptive positioning stage. All that's being done before the general public has any idea that this home is being marketed. We're preparing to get it marketed. Okay, now there's a whole coming soon strategy, preemptive marketing. So marketing is number four, but we tell everybody we market properties three ways. Number one, we market them preemptively. Coming soon, your buyer list, you're building intensity and demand and urgency and scarcity and all this competitive fervor, right? Number two is we market to everyone. That's kind of your broad-based shotgun maximum number of eyeballs on the property as possible. Number three is what we call piling up niches, right? So a property might have two or three or four or five really distinct features or really great features. And each of those features can be marketed to a niche market that really loves that type of feature, right? So you could market a home that has a great kitchen to people who love cooking in great kitchens and entertaining and that kind of thing. You could market a home with a great backyard to, you know, outdoor, outdoor living and outdoor cooking and swimming and athletics and family, you know, so you can pile up those niches. So there's three different ways, preemptive, broad-based and niche focused. And we want to do all of those things really, really well where the average agent is barely doing the broad-based by sticking it on the MLS, crossing their fingers, crawling under the desk and hoping somebody else brings them a buyer and then they can responsively reactively survive a transaction and, and eke out a commission. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. I love it. Crawling underneath their desk, man. That's hilarious. So uh, <laughs> I'm, on the, I'm, I'm picturing these agents in the fetal position under their desk wondering, am I going to get a paycheck this month? <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. So we have preemptive broad base and, uh, and piling up niches. I love that piling up niches. That's a great one. Um, and so I'm assuming when it comes to marketing, you're doing it across all social media platforms. And is that, is that right? Yeah. And I would say the thing that we are getting better at every day more than anything else is the video piece. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. there's not I, I can't fathom there's a single person watching this live or recorded that hasn't gotten the message that video is really crucial in the world that we're living in. My prediction and I'm no technology guy. I mean, I like technology and appreciate it. But it's just not my obsession. Uh, but I bet you I would bet anybody here a hundred dollar bill that Facebook 
is attempting to take over YouTube's dominance of video. I think Facebook in the future is going to want to be the dominant place for video. And I, what I can tell their live feature and what they're doing with stories and things, they want you to come to Facebook to search and sort and find video. Now that's a guess, who knows, but uh, we're doubling down on that strategy in both places. YouTube as the always and forever storage and category and keyword focused video deal. Facebook as a primary distribution media, as well as email and text. Uh, we're not great on Twitter and Instagram, but we're, we have a somewhat of a presence. Um, we could do a lot better at customizing the delivery of our, of our messaging and our media differently for different social media, but Facebook is our, our primary. Uh, but yeah, by all means, you want to repurpose any content you create as many possible ways and places as possible. I do a radio show every Saturday, 3 PM on the big AM station here in Dallas. Uh, we want to take that audio. We want to video it. We want to chop it into one question, one answer, uh, topical playlists, uh, seasonal stuff, buyer side, seller side, you know, you want to repurpose any content you have for every possible marketing potential you can in every media you can. Uh, you want to use as much evergreen stuff as you can let. We call them uh, little landmines, little marketing landmines that we've put out everywhere. And yes, you want to have three primary lead sources, but you have 500 potential lead sources where every third year somebody trips on that video over there, clicks the link and becomes a seller. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having just a ton of those out there. So, yeah, you want to take advantage of every opportunity you have. Well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, you know, you're talking about Facebook taking over video and absolutely true. They are, in fact. In fact, now Facebook has more video on it than YouTube does. Uh, so I'm, I'm late to that prediction. It's easy to predict things that have already happened. <laughs> I'm happy to come back anytime and predict last year's World Series or whatever you need. <laughs> That's funny. I love it. Uh, and Rick Rina says, evergreen is always beautiful. You know, you're absolutely right about that, Rick. Uh, you know, in terms of everything's got to be evergreen. The better, you know, the more evergreen it can be, the better. Uh, and, uh, you know, that way you can reuse it, repurpose it in lots of different ways and places. Uh, and Adam asks, can, will this be a video be available to view later? The short answer is yes. Um, you can also go to clubwealth.com forward slash TV. You can download the podcast uh, and uh, watch that. That podcast usually takes about two weeks before it gets up. But uh, just so you know, that will, it will be available there. Uh, and so good stuff. Uh, let's, let's keep moving forward. Before I forget, I want to give credit to our sponsor, uh, WiseHire. Uh, so we use a company called WiseHire. You guys, are you using WiseHire as well, Todd? Oh, it's the only one I'll use, but I'll let you talk about them. <clears throat> uh, no, we, we love them. I, I absolutely love, uh, in fact, I'm putting it in here for slash club. Well, I'm putting a link to it right here. Uh, we love WiseHire. They work really well for us in terms of recruiting and not just in terms of administrative positions, uh, but also in terms of recruiting agents. Now, we're not, you know, if you're using WiseHire for recruiting, you're not going to recruit, you know, four or five, six agents a month out of it. Um, but heck, if you were, if you, if you recruit, you know, four to six agents a year out of it, man, that's great. That's four to six agents a year, in addition to all of the administrative people that you'll need and that sort of thing. So we love those guys. You want uh, a quick success story for them? Yeah, please. I'm sitting in our Fort Worth office right now, and just through that door right there, we have two of the very best new agent hires we've ever made. We like zero experience. Uh, both of them came out of successful professional careers. And I believe in, of course, I, I don't care what your background is. If you've got the skills, you've got the, the gumption, and, and then we've got most of what it takes. We can train for real estate technical skill. But I love Wise Hire for grabbing people that are already successful and happy in what they do, but they want more. I think that's a recipe for unbelievable success. And we went back to back phenomenal wise hire hires mm -hmm. uh, with two great agents for our Fort Worth office. So I'm a huge fan. Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, how many does it take to pay for it? Right. I mean, I think we pay Brown, what do we pay? 200 bucks a month. Uh, and you get one great hire for 200 bucks. Dude, yeah, that pays for winning wise hire for forever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it really is. And you know, it, it brings up a point that I think team leaders obsess about leads and leads and leads and leads. And I don't look at team members and agents as an asset, but you know, at some point you do have to look at the return on the investment you've made in those people. And we make a significant investment in our people and it, and one really great team member 
is worth so many multiples of almost any other lead conversion metric you can pay attention to. A person who you enjoy being around, that you can go to battle with, share core values, and can generate a significant financial return for both of you. It, it is almost impossible to, to replicate that in any other way. Uh, so to find a resource like WiseHire or anything else that can help drive some, if, if, if multiple is great, but even one, is just such a game changer for businesses like ours that I, uh, I agree 100%. It's funny, people always worry about, oh, I don't know if I can hire people and I don't know if I can grow a team and yada, yada, yada. And I just, I, I think you're crazy not to, right? I mean, you think about, you know, what is this all about? First of all, would I rather do this by myself or would I rather do it with a team? And the reality is it's a lot more fun as a team. It's a lot more profitable for everybody. All right, let's go to step number five here. So you've got step number one was pre-inspection. Then we get professional staging is step number two. Step number three is professional photography and videography. Step number four is marketing, all preemptive, broad-based, and piling up on niches. And so what is number five? Number five is creating scarcity. And if anybody watching or listening has got a blank look on their face, that's okay. Because most people approach this idea of scarcity in, in a way that says, well, the market dictates that. That's That's not me. It, there's either scarcity or there's not. Um, most of us understand that markets are primarily driven by supply and demand. But I've got great news for you. You can manipulate that. You can increase. You, you can turn the screws. You can change leverage and drive up or drive down scarcity. And, and the next one we're going to talk about. But scarcity is this really, really, really cool and very powerful tool that you can uh, ha- you can take some additional control. So you can take what the market gives you and then you can expand upon that. Right. So we in the DFW area, Dallas Fort Worth area, are in a market where uh, market listings, properties are, are relatively scarce. We're around two months of available inventory, about 2.3, generally speaking. I believe four to six months is a stable market. So we are in a seller's market still very, very slowly, maybe eventually transitioning into a stable market, but we're still very much in a seller's market. So properties are already scarce. But if I can go further and create what we call points of scarcity about the property that we're marketing, and I can say, look, not only is there only three homes in this elementary school or in this neighborhood that are available in this price point, Now I can go further and say, what is it about this property that makes it the only one in that group so that if somebody cannot get this one, they cannot get that thing? We call it creating a market of one. You're the only one in the market. Now now you can control it. Now you can dominate it. Now you have crazy leverage. So you can take the natural scarcity or lack thereof. By the way, this works amazingly well and in the opposite market where there's a ton of inventory and it feels like it's impossible. There is no scarcity. Buyers have hundreds of choices. You are then tasked to create scarcity for your clients. And if you're not doing this, you're not doing the whole job. Uh, This is part of our job to be the marketer for our client. And so when you take the natural scarcity or lack thereof, and then you turn it up, you expand on that, you exponentially uh, grow that by creating a market of one, by taking the one or two, probably no more than that, points of scarcity, ideal features that are scarce, and then really making that the focal point of your marketing. And by the way, now we've got to go back and make sure we feature this in our photography, in our videography, in our staging, and make sure that we are now focusing on, by the way, that's why it's not interior design, it's not point and shoot, This might even be an aspect of the pre-inspection and how we communicate that. And it's definitely a part of some other things that we're going to do. Team-wide communication, marketing and all. Um, But we've got to focus on the thing that they can't get anywhere else. And now a buyer might say, well, if we don't get this, we can't have that. So maybe we'll pay a little bit more. Uh, Maybe we'll hurry up a little bit. Um, And scarcity really bleeds into the next one, which is urgency. And I don't mind coming back to scarcity, but these two are so interwoven that we talk about them together a lot. Um, And urgency is similar. Most people assume there's a certain level of urgency in the marketplace and we just kind of take what we get. Well, I'm not very good at just taking what I get. You can probably tell by now I get all up on my soapbox, talk too fast, get too loud. But the point is 
you are people come to you and you tell them you promise them that you're their very best option you're their best choice to market their property to advocate for them to protect them we'll do it then be their best choice take full advantage of this opportunity so urgency there's a few things we can do there we can offer incentives to the buyers we like offering incentives to the agents and sometimes they'll pass it on to the buyer um, to drive urgency it again it interweaves with scarcity but the point is if they don't get it quickly then someone else is going to get it and that causes them to move quicker. So when you combine scarcity and urgency and together they drive competition and you've already done some of these other things well in the, in the, in the presentation and positioning stage, then you get people making higher offers than they otherwise would have and quicker offers than they otherwise would have. Mm -hmm. um, and those become a really beautiful combination for your seller. And by the way, we get paid commissions. So the higher the price, the higher our commission. That's not the number one driver and it shouldn't be. But there's nothing wrong with that being a part of the equation as long as it benefits the client too. And by the way, it does and it's beautiful. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's huge. You know, when you can say to somebody, hey, this is the last house or the only home for sale right now in this desirable neighborhood or this desirable school district or one of only two houses even on the market right now in this particular school district. You know, that type of scarcity really does get people kind yeah. of off the dime and it gets it generates interest. Yeah, and that, that works until the neighbor puts a sign up in their yard, right? So if, if that's all you've got, by all means, you've got to use that. Right. But if you can find a unique feature or a unique story that you can tell about this property, then that's even harder to compete with because the neighbor two doors down doesn't have a true media room with no windows and a climate controlled console closet and a projector mount that the seller plans on leaving with the digitally controlled media room chairs. You know, that's that kind of stuff. Right. They have a producing fruit orchard in the backyard. Nobody else has one and you can't install one in one day. So, you know, that's the only one you're going to get. By the way, that's my favorite all time one. We had a house that was so absolutely not scarce. It was so boring and so common, but it had two peach trees in the side yard that were producing. And oh my gosh, did we talk about peach trees. These people sold this house for $36,000 more than this same exact house, like three doors down. And they had the better lot. Basically we got $36,000 out of two $40 peach trees and it was beautiful. So well, and what, you, what you're doing is you're creating a scenario where you can compare apples to oranges and not to go too deep on the fruit analogy. But oh, I see what you did. I see what you <laughs> But the reality is that's what you do, right? You want to you want to make an apples to oranges comparison so that so that that neighbor can't come up and put their house on the market the next day. And all of a sudden now there's two houses in that particular neighborhood. This is the right. old yeah, Rick Rainis. He's like peach to peach. No, no, no. Peach to pear, Rick. <laughs> The pair. Come on, brother. All right. Try and keep up, Rick. I'm just kidding. All right. So good stuff. Rick's one of our coaches, by the way. He's in Houston, Texas. Uh, That's where I'm from. What's up, Rick? Yeah. Rick's a baller. All right. So good stuff. So let's keep moving on. So we've got, uh, we're almost out of time and we are almost to, or we are to step number seven. So I'm going to go through this again. We have pre-inspection, professional staging, professional photography, marketing, and that means preemptive, broad-based, uh, as well as piling up the niches, creating scarcity, and creating urgency. Those are the first six steps uh, to getting more commissions. And uh, so what is number seven? Drum roll, please. Every single year, the National Association of Realtors does research, and they ask the consumers why they hire real estate agents. I've been doing this for about 16 years and every year I've been doing it, the number one or occasionally it drops to number two answer for why people hire agents is negotiation. Number seven is negotiation. Last but absolutely not least, we have a completely different definition for negotiation than most people. Most sadly, most agents, but especially most consumers, define negotiation as sort of working out the terms of the agreement, right? Filling in the blanks, price, close date, inspection, survey, home warranties, that kind of stuff. By all means, those are important. But we really believe that you've lost most of your leverage, most of your negotiating ability by the time you receive an offer. Because the buyer's already gone through all the mental exercises they're going to go through to determine value by the time they put it in writing and send it over. So you can argue with them and say, well, but this other one sold for blah, blah, blah. But they've already got days, if not weeks, of opinion built up that they're now viewing as fact. 
So we say every single thing that I do or my team does that impacts your time, your energy, and of course your money, all of that is negotiation. So then we use sort of a preemptive closing line and we say, we start negotiating right now. The way we answer the phone, the way we communicate about your property, the way we deliver requested information, the, the, the way we post or don't post documentation, the speed we respond to people, our tone, our attitude, the way we build rapport and relationships, the cleanliness of our information, all of those things are negotiation. We tell a little bit, little story about a couple of different ways to answer the phone about property requests or information requests. One way is purely information-based and is sort of take it or leave it or worse. Another way is even the receptionist um, is going to answer the phone and communicate about your property in a way that is going to increase your leverage and your ability to get what is best for you out of this. Therefore, Every single thing we do is negotiation because it all impacts your outcome. So it's not just the blanks on the contract. It's the way we manage the entire process for you because it is going to increase or decrease your leverage and lead to a better or worse outcome for you. So let's talk about that really quick uh, about the receptionist and how, and Brian, we're getting a little bit of wind noise there. Um, how I'm, does, not, I'm not outside, so. <laughs> I know, I'm so <laughs> Maybe you're just breathing. I mean, Brian's like, I'm not Darth Vader either. (laughs) No Darth Vader. (laughs) Anyway, that being said, uh, I want to know how, what's the receptionist doing? How's the receptionist answering the phone that's adding value or that's helping you guys negotiate uh, higher, higher returns for your clients? Yeah. So it's probably a longer answer than we have time for, but basically everyone on your team needs to understand that there are no mental breaks, right? There's no point where you answer the phone and say, which property? I don't know anything about, hold on, let me look it up. That that doesn't do anybody any good, right? Um, so we are having constant conversation in our office about uh, our key properties that we're marketing. And we've never in my career have the type of listing inventory you were just talking about. I don't even want that kind of listing inventory, but um, we have a, we have a listing inventory spreadsheet and every single property has our WizGat script block in there with key bullet points about the most attractive features. And so at a very minimum, like the absolute least somebody should be able to do is to say, Oh, the property on Maple Grove. Oh my gosh. That's a really great property. Let me get you some additional information on that. Hey, while I'm pulling that up, and then there's some things we want to get from them while we're doing that. Hey, this property has absolutely gorgeous hand-scraped hardwood floors. Now, they're not being deceitful or dishonest in any way, but they may have never physically been there. They probably have never physically been there. But they're reading a script with a handful of key bullet points that the marketing specialist has determined are our points of scarcity that are key focus areas that will drive scarcity, urgency, competition, higher price, faster. All of these things work together. It's like a tapestry woven together. Don't take one piece out. Don't try to implement one and two and get some success going and then forget about three through seven. All these things work together. But at a minimum, the person that answers the phone needs to be equipped and know that their job is to present that property in the most advantageous, attractive light possible and to lean towards scarcity and urgency and to say, you know, hey, Bob from Remax, I don't know if you were aware of this, but the buyer agent on this property gets a five day, four night cruise for two at closing uh, whenever this thing gets wrapped up. Hey, I don't know if you knew this, but this house has a fully decked out media room with those climate controlled media consoles and the sellers are planning on leaving all the equipment and all the furniture. So just, you know, make sure your buyer knows that. By the way, if you haven't scheduled a showing on this, you need to hurry up because the phones are melting off the hood today. And I'm I'm guessing, I doubt this thing will be available, you know, past Saturday afternoon, if even that, right? So that's one way of just answering the phone. All we're doing is answering the phone, but we could also create tremendous leverage and, and urgency and competition by the way we do that. Or we could say, which one? And that's no good. <laughs> I love it. All right, Brian, you've been awfully quiet so far. I want to hear your thoughts. I have. I'm, I'm scared. I, I don't know. I don't know what, what he's going to do to me at this point. He's going to tear me up. 
No, I would never do that. So I want to I want to handle some objections that I I feel I hear that people are saying, and I know they're not actually out there saying them. But so one of the objections that I can hear agents in my market saying is, "How are you going to sell a house for ten percent over market value? You're going to run into all kinds of appraisal issues." So you know, obviously, I love your seven steps. Um, my favorite one, by the way, is the creating scarcity because I feel like creating scarcity is a sales technique, and I feel like too many agents have no sales skills at all. So I appreciate that. That That's my favorite thing that you've said so far is let's create a little scarcity. And all you're doing is, is emphasizing key features in a different way and looking at things from a different angle. So I appreciate that. But and again, back to my question, what are you doing about appraisal issues in your market? Yeah, I love that question, by the way. There's certain questions that used to be terrifying objections that have become like the softball and the meat of the strike zone. You're like, please ask me how I'm different. Please say, so how are you really different? That's beautiful. So this one, um, when we mark, go back to the marketing module, right? <clears throat> so three, um, three ways we market. We are marketing not only to the buyer. By the way, the buyer is not always even the most important person to market this to. I know that sounds crazy, but we're marketing to the buyer, the buyer's agent, the buyer's mother-in-law, the inspector, the appraiser, the surveyor, all those people, right? And there's a certain way you want to communicate preemptively with an appraiser, even though you're not always in control of the communication. Now, sometimes you can be, and that's a whole another beautiful skill. But we all know that an appraiser is going to do a quick lookup before they go out to a property subconsciously, whether they like it or not, they're going to form an opinion. Is the opinion going to be great? I get to go sweat out another one. I get to crawl under that dump. Or is it going to be like, oh, sweet, an easy one. This one will definitely hit value. Now, they're not saying these, formulating these thoughts that clearly, but appraisers live in this world of rounding, right? So I always say the appraiser sits on the fence, they can fall towards success or fall towards failure. I always talk, I always talk to, about prospecting that way too. But an appraiser is going to round up or round down and not necessarily analytically. Most of the time it's subconscious, right? Um, am I going to lean towards a bump up, a bump down? Am I going to let that pass? Am I going to, am I going to pull that back? And so, so much of what we're doing is encouraging an appraiser to put us in a category of the next level up of property. So if we market homes really, really well and we communicate about them in the rare occasion, and to be honest with you, it is still pretty rare that we run into these issues. We tend to get the benefit of the doubt from the appraiser. We get a call that says, hey man, this place looks beautiful. I'm sure you had a lot of action on it, but I'm, I'm, I'm a little short. Is there something that I'm missing? And then by all means, we're prepared at that point to say, hey, we valued it this way. By the way, we had 13 offers on it. 11 of those were above asking and the other two were right at our price. So I'm happy to provide any documentation that you need. But I feel like this one's probably popping up on your radar. But because of these few things, we really probably belong in this class. And I'd say eight times out of 10, we get an appraiser that's like, yeah, you're probably right. I, I feel that. We're, we're good. I'll take care. I'll, we'll get it covered. Talk to you later. Um, so... I, I don't, it, it definitely happens from time to time, but I really can't think of the last time we came up short and it, it, it triggers an idea for me on the buy side. Our goal is to get that appraisal price up and over what we have, have secured property at. And that's pretty rare in the current climate, but that's kind of a metric we feel like we measure ourselves against too. So to be honest, you know, hundred plus times a year, we, we maybe run into that once or twice where maybe we're not able to fully, fully, fully bridge the gap and uh, maybe maybe have to give a little bit back. And usually we try to find another trade-off where we really don't. Um, but I would say the short answer to that is you got to preemptively address that by marketing it really well and know that you're communicating to more than just a buyer, if that makes sense. Okay. Sure. No, I love that. I actually, I, I actually tell people that I have to make three sales. I got to sell the seller on the price. I got to sell the buyer on the price and I got to sell the bank on the price. So I like those three concepts. Love it. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's do this because we've only got about seven minutes left. And so tell us really quick uh, about marketing tools and tactics. Any other deep dives you want to do on marketing tools and tactics? I'm open to any questions that anybody has. I'm trying to look on the Facebook page without taking my eyes off you guys too much. I mean, I'm happy to go a hundred different directions. I'll just say that I'm a direct response guy. Um, I love the idea of branding, but my personal opinion is that branding alone, branding by itself is really irresponsible for most of us with small businesses. I think branding is beautiful when it's piggybacked on direct response marketing. 
if I'm going to run an ad, if I'm going to host an event, if I'm going to create content, there's got to be a call to action. I've got to be expecting and tracking a specific response. If I do a great job of positioning the personality and the value proposition and the ideas behind my business while I ask for that response, then branding is great. But if I can only do one, I've got to get a response that's got to be trackable. I've got to know whether that generated a return or not. That doesn't mean you abuse your brand, your promise, your values only to get response. That means you do that responsibly. But I'm an old school kind of Dan Kennedy, direct response marketing guy. Uh, and, you know, I like creative media, but I believe that number one, you got to define your market. Number two, you've got to create a message for that market. And then and only then you use the media that that market would consume that message in. And I think it comes in that order. And most people, especially real estate agents, get that almost entirely backwards where they fall in love with the media. They want to do postcards. They want to use Facebook. They want to do TV or whatever. And then they tell, they use a message that they like, and then they just hope that there's a market for that message. And they hope that that, or they never even think about it, but they hope to get lucky that that market exists at that media and is willing to consume that message at that media. So I don't know if that's helpful. I think that is the foundational truth of marketing, regardless of what business you're in. Um, and I've written a couple of books about that stuff, but uh, I nerd out on that stuff. That's just kind of my wheelhouse. That's what I like to do. But let me let me switch gears for a second, Todd. So, you know, one of the things that I've heard, and I love it, I love the idea. So to me, every conversation is a sales conversation. So I define sales as finding a way for us to communicate in an effective way that we both get what we want. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard is that you've got your people very at least to some extent, understanding about the houses. They can talk about hardwood floors, even though they've never been there. So the phone rings, what happens? So I'm, I'm, I'm in front of one, two, three main street, which is, you know, Todd's listing. And I, and I say, Hey, there's a sign. I'm going to call that. What happens and how are you ensuring that quality response? Cause I think that's one of the things that as teams, I believe a lot of teams probably aren't selling that enough because here's the truth. If I got somebody on the phone, there's a chance that I can get them to see your house that they weren't even going to see it. You know, that you call them and say, well, it's a three bedroom, two bath, blah, blah, blah. And like, well, that's not really everything I want. You know what? Let's take a look at it anyway. And, you know, sometimes, like you said, checking boxes is not what, set, what house is about. Houses are about feelings. So, you know, tell me what you guys are doing. If I'm sitting in front of your sign, what happens? Yeah. So if you call the phone number on a sign, you're going to be routed directly to ring all of the buyer specialists in that area. Right. So we have offices on different side of town. So if you're in anywhere near Dallas and you call one of our signs, it's going to ring our buyer specialist simultaneously. First one that gets it, gets it. That way there's a live human as often as possible. They've got a link on their phone to our inventory sheet with that little WSGAT script bump. Now, you know, most of our properties don't last very long, but that initial launch weekend, they've been made aware, hey, these four or five are going live and here's a few things you should know about them. But worst case, they'll physically check that and they are incentivized to sell the properties. You know, there's commissions and incentives and they're getting cruise certificates for selling our listings just like another buyer specialist would. So. You know, there's a lot of fun to it. Our buyer agents really want to serve our marketing specialists. Our marketing service specialists really want to serve our buyer specialists. So it's direct to the most likely person to convert, direct to the person who's most skilled and trained to do that well. Um, and then vice versa. Other lead sources would route directly to the marketing specialist or directly to our business development, which a lot of people would call inside sales. Or very, 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 very few things would actually ring to our raving fan club coordinator or administrative person. Um, but even she, and I, and I, I hesitate to say even she as though she shouldn't, uh, but a lot of team leaders would think my administrative person's not selling. Well, everyone's selling, like you said. Um, and I'm a, listen, I love Jesus Christ. I'm a Christ follower. My life is not about me, but there's an element of sales in every persuasive communication. And I don't think sales is, is fairly categorized if you think it's this selfish, manipulative thing. Uh, sometimes it's helping lead someone to the conclusion that's best for them. Uh, it's solving their problem, providing for their need, uh, providing for their want. 
Um, it's a mutual benefit. It's not, you know, selling someone a set of encyclopedias that they never wanted. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people that are sick and we've got the best medicine. And if you don't think you've got the best medicine, get with Michael or somebody and have them help you get a better medicine to offer people, right? Build a better business, offer more value. And if you've heard me talk about more commissions, let me be really clear about this because we didn't pause for a second for me to do my unbelievably obnoxious disclaimer. You don't get, you don't get to charge a higher fee until you offer more value. Right. And then you determine whatever value, whatever fee is appropriate where you can still offer significantly more value than you're asking for in return. Um, So I could, I could teach you scripts and systems that could convince people to pay you more. But if you don't then deliver world-class value, you're going to be the villain of your market in a matter of months, right? You could charge a 10% commission. If you can offer enough value that client gets a huge return on that, you'll be the hero of your market within a matter of a year or so. Um, So it all starts with delivering a phenomenal result, financial and experiential and feelings-wise to your client. And then you might be able to be compensated more. Then you might be a world-class salesperson and everyone on your team can contribute to that outcome. And everyone on your team should benefit from the results as well. Okay, and I hate to do awesome. this. We are literally a hundred percent out of time. So I've got to wrap this up. So that being said, Todd, thank you very, very much for your time today. You brought a lot of knowledge. I'm going to restate those seven steps really quick. We got pre-inspection, professional staging, professional photography, marketing, uh, which is both preemptive, broad-based, and piling up in the niches, creating scarcity, creating urgency, and negotiation. So seriously, thank you for bringing all this great value to us, Brian. Anything you want to add before we wrap up? I just want to say thank you, Todd. I, I really enjoyed um, taking a look at it. And here's something else that I love, and I'll just fill with this. You actually have steps of the sale. So I have steps of the sales for buyers. I have steps of the sales for sellers. Um, steps of the sale is an important concept. The reason is we can we can actually look. We do we do one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. It's a, it's a great metric out there. And everything you do, if you have a steps and a process, um, even if it's not a perfect process, it's still better than 95% of the people out there. So I love your process and I love that you have one. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. It was a ton of fun. Right on. All right. Thanks a lot, everybody. And everybody that's watching, thank you so much. Remember, inside each one of you, there's a world-class beast just dying to get out. But you've got to choose to unleash that beast. So go find something you can do at a world-class level today. At the very least, come up with a sales process. Come up, you know, write some steps down. But on every buyer appointment or every listing appointment, you're going to do these things and you're going to guide them through a process that's consistent every single time. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for watching.